Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. Many people are passionate about wine, and my guest is not only passionate about that subject, but writes about it, and now doodles about it. She's award-winning food and wine writer Marisa Finetti, a member of the Circle of Wine Writers, which is the world's leading international association of wine and spirits authors, writers, journalists, bloggers, broadcasters, photographers, and educators. She's also the author of the new book, Marisa's Wine Doodles. As Marisa describes the tone of the book, it's casual, approachable, and a tad quirky. For everything about Marisa Finetti, and to order her book, go to Marisa Finetti, and that's spelled F-I-N-E-T-T-I dot com, and you can follow her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Marisa's Wine Doodles and Marisa Finetti. Marisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ira. So what brought you back to wine? Because I think I'll have you share with people your story that you were actually involved with wine in California, then you moved to Las Vegas, and all of a sudden you're back in wine in a different way, writing about it and traveling and learning about it. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. I did spend a number of years in the California wine country as a grape brewer. And then when I came to Las Vegas, I really thought that I was actually leaving that industry. Not that I wanted to, I just felt like living in Las Vegas was going to take me a little bit more away from that industry, but it actually brought me closer. You know, Las Vegas is so filled with so many wonderful and talented and passionate wine professionals. And they're the ones that really got me interested in wines, not only of the wines that I was actually familiar with in California, but wines of the world. And so here I am loving wine in a much deeper sense now and um, have started to write about it. And and now I'm actually drawing about it. Yes, or doodling about it. Doodling, yes. And we want to talk about your book in a little while, but just a little bit back again on background, because You grew up in California in the wine country, so you were familiar with the whole, I'll use this overused word, vibe of wine in that sense. You may not have known it in depth, but you knew it on a practical level. Yes. And and then you moved to Las Vegas, but you weren't at that point interested in pursuing wine per se, were you? No, I actually wasn't. No, I I came here because I have a marketing background, and so I came to Las Vegas because it was just our next step in our career path. And while I really had an appreciation for wine and I was very much in the wine world when I lived in California, I knew that that wasn't something that would be part of my daily livelihood here in Las Vegas. But as a writer, I was exposed to the dining scene here in Las Vegas. And so and thereby, through the dining scene, I've met a lot of fantastic chefs and sommeliers, and the wine started to speak to me again in a much more meaningful way. And di- I hadn't realized how much more there was to learn. I-, I thought I had known a lot about wine before, but then when I came to Las Vegas, there's it just opened up a whole new world of wine for me. And I really have this city of all places. We don't even grow one single grape here, but of all places, our city is the one that really got me back into the spirit of wine. No regrets, right? No regrets. No regrets. Yeah, it's been fantastic. So when did the light bulb go off or did the champagne cork pop and you decided, wait a second, not only am I going to write about 
wine, but I'm going to doodle about wine. Because your doodling was initially informal. It wasn't done for commercial purposes, but clearly you have a knack for it. And we'll get to the book itself, but you were doing a little bit of a doodling ahead of time. And then you said, you know what? This combined with information about wine in the book will make a good combination. Right. You know, the the doodling did happen kind of naturally as I was taking notes during wine tastings. It was easier for me to draw an apple rather than to actually write the word out. And so people started noticing my notes looking like a combination of words and little sketches. And I was just... I didn't really think much of it, actually. But then one day, I just decided to put together a little story, my first little doodle about a grape or a wine. I can't even remember which one it was. And I put it on Instagram, and people just took a liking to it. And I think, you know, I I can't speak for what others think about the doodles, but I think one of the reasons why the doodles are so fun for for a lot of people is that it's meant to be approachable. I've got little stories that, you know, narrated illustrations and it's casual. It's not meant to be a textbook or it's not meant to be difficult. It's just little notes, little tidbits of information accompanied by a cute little illustration. So it's not intimidating. Most people associate wine with intimidating knowledge. You have always that issue of wine snobbery. Mm -hmm. And you have some sommeliers that are very much serious about their work, but as a result, come off as intimidating. And then you have, of course, Kirk, you can mention him in a moment, who is the opposite of that, who explains things and and looks at it. And you obviously were influenced by him. I was, very much Tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get into the fact of how the book combines things. And just for one fact that I found in the book, 100 million bubbles in a glass of champagne. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. I mean, if, it's, if that's the one takeaway you got from the book, I'm well, happy. Well, no, it's not, it's not the only one. <laughs> it struck me. I thought, well, this but is amazing. How do they count that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. They, yeah. they do all kinds of research on champagne. <laughs> we all love champagne. So there's all kinds of interesting facts out there about it. But yeah, the bubble's amazing. So tell us about Mr. Peterson. Oh, okay. So Kirk is a colleague of mine. He's been in the wine industry for far, far longer than I have. And he, I met him years ago, eight years ago, when he was a beverage director at Cardinvino at the Palazzo. And when my husband, Craig, and I met him, we were immediately just so attracted to the way Kirk presented wine to us. And it was fun and witty, not, I mean, it was educational because we were craving knowledge to learn something from him, but he made it fun. And that really stuck with me because that is, that is actually what drew me in to the wine world once again. It wasn't because of some interesting fact that came along the way, or it was because of the way that wine was presented to me that made it so much more approachable. And I just want, he just, it's like taking a taste of a really good white crisp wine and it's just, you're salivating for more. It was, it was that feeling that I had when I started to, you know, get to know Kirk and the way he was explaining wine to me. And so it, in a lot of ways, I felt that that was one of 
the better ways to communicate wine. Make it approachable, make it fun. Let's not make it so stuffy. You know, there's plenty of stuffy out there. And frankly, nobody really wants to or really, you know, is is going to react to something stuffy in as a positive way as if you were to make it more fun and approachable and casual. And so that's what I got from Kirk and and I think that um, with my doodles, a lot of that translates into it because the way I was brought into wine, I would love to be able to share the beauty of wine, the fun, great things about wine, the history, the culture, all the things that happen around wine in a way that is not going to be too confounding and complicated. It doesn't have to be. Were you surprised at the reaction to the book? from people that found it easy to read and, and learned and had fun as obviously that was your goal. Yeah, no, it was my goal. And I did get a lot of great reaction. I'm really, really blessed for that. I, I wasn't sure, you know, of course, when you put something out, out there like this, it's artistic in a way, but at the same time, it's based on factual information. There's parts of the doodles that are, I go off on a tangent and I try to explain that a wine is like a certain type of person. I'm trying to make it relatable for people. You know, if you, if you know that type of person and you drink this wine, maybe you might find the connection. I don't know. I do anyway. But yeah, I was really surprised and I'm really, I'm really pleased with the response and I'm happy that people are liking it. Did you have Kirk look at it before you published it? No. Interesting. I thought you would have just for input. No, ah. no I did not have him look at it, although he was very familiar with my doodles, but he knew them as individual little squares, Instagram squares, you know, like um, a, a doodle on Sangiovese, a doodle on Etna DOC. I mean, he knew them as different little tiles of information. And then I just put them all together. So when you go on your trips, and I'm going to talk about your favorite region in a minute, but when you go on your trips, your wine trips, do you find that your colleagues are divided between those such as you who make wine approachable and informal as a way to learn about wine and the others that are from, I don't want to say the old school, but more formal school of the wine, not snobbery, but wine formal education, I guess would be a better term. Hmm. Well, you know what? There's definitely a lot of variety in the way people write about wine. You know, you can write for an industry magazine trade magazine, and it's going to be a little bit more packed with more educational, more really solid information that digs really deep. I do travel with some of those journalists, and I think that's great. There's a place for that. They're actually writing to the people in the industry, and so they should be asking those kinds of questions to the wineries and the winery makers you know, how, how do you, you know, what do you do about sulfur or those kinds of technical questions that people want to know about the, in the industry. But then, yeah, I, I suppose there are a group of us that really like to write to the general public. I think that's a bigger audience. You know, that's, a, that's my audience. I don't write to the industry or the trade because the industry and trade, they do their education. I'm not here to educate them. And I'm not really here to educate the consumers either. I'm just trying to introduce wine as a, as a beverage of choice for them and in, in an approachable, casual manner. And yes, so there are a lot of wine writers out there that do, that do similar to me, 
and then they write for the consumer, the general publications that talk about wine. But your approach didn't preclude you from being accepted into the circle of wine writers, so that's good. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's true. Actually, um, when I got into the circle of wine writers, they didn't know that I had done this on the side. You know, they had, you know, it's based on recommendations from others inside the circle. And so um, I was really fortunate to be part of that. And, you know, it's... Well, it's they may not have known about really. the book, but they obviously they knew you were a wine writer because right. you've written it over the years for various publications. So Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Did you know when you were working on the book, I'm sure it took a while to figure out how you wanted to combine the copy and the doodles, so the information and the approach and the doodles. Did you know when the cutoff time came, meaning, okay, I have enough for a book. I don't want to overwrite and overdraw the book, but I don't want to underwrite and underdraw the book. Mm -hmm. So did you come up with all of a sudden, you knew when it was time to, okay, I've got the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was this year. Oh no, we're it's 2023 now. Yeah, this was last, it was probably June of 2022 when I felt like I had enough. Or that I knew that if I had just created a couple more doodles toward the end there, I would have enough for the first wine doodle book, one that generally covers all the top, you know, favorite wines of the world and then some of the, you know, my favorite ones. And so that's probably then. Would I be right in assuming there's going to be another book down the road? Well, people have asked me already if I'm going to come up with another book. I would say that that is probably on the horizon. Maybe something that's that's a little bit more specific to maybe either a country or a region or something like that. But I haven't started that yet. But I, you mentioned regions. So what's your favorite region? Well, you know what? There's Okay, so there's many regions in the world. But I'm, I just wanted to give a little love to a region that I just was at recently, and that is Sicily. I was there in October. I was there for two weeks. It had always been in my bucket list to go to Sicily. And Sicily is, has been a place that has been making wine, I mean, for centuries. I mean, for a very, very long time. It's got great. The weather is fantastic. It's right um, along, it straddles along the Eurasian and African plates. There's a lot of different climatic changes and elevations and varied soils and terrain, which makes for a very mosaic of very interesting wines. And and in the last 10 years or so, maybe 10, 20 years, Sicily has really been pushing their wines for the longest time being a, a wine, a wine region that made bulk wines, now is really concentrating on praising the wines that they make. And so Sicily Doc, Sicily DOC, um, and the consortium that's associated with, they're really pushing the indigenous grapes. And I'm all about indigenous wines, indigenous grapes, because that's part of what makes wine so interesting. You learn about where it's from and where its home is. And so I think Sicily is definitely an area that people need to look at for all the great indigenous grapes, Grillo and Nero Davila and Caricante and Frappato and and then also, how can you not want to enjoy Sicilian wines without mentioning the fact that it's got the most active volcano on it, which I climbed to Excellent. the top of. That was so exciting. <laughs> that was 9,500 feet up 
to the top of this volcano that was continuously spewing vapor while we were going up this thing. Now, were you carrying a couple of bottles of wine oh, while you were doing that? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to check. No way. It's just water. <laughs> I mean, I needed to, to watch my footstep every every step of the way. So wine was not part of it. At the end of the, at the when we got back to the bottom, yes, yes. it was time for wine, but um, it was fantastic. No, that's great. Tell us a little bit about what a trip like that entails for wine writers when they go to a region mm-hmm. and they're going to see things and experience things that the general public won't, but it's to give them more insight that they can share with the public or their public. Right. And so give us a sense of what that entails. You don't have to give us a daily itinerary, but what kind of experiences do you have on a typical media tour, a wine media tour of wine region? I'd have to say it's really busy. Days are packed from the morning till the evening, late in the evening, and we go and visit various wineries each day. And we, we, it's, it takes a lot of time and, you know, you're actively listening and learning about the wines that they make. Uh, And by the end of the day, you might've already seen three or four wineries. And so, you know, it's the note-taking is really, really important. Do you Um, do it by hand at that point? I know you like to doodle while you take notes, but do you ever use a laptop or an iPad or something like that? Yeah, I actually record on my phone. So in addition to, and then I take pictures. So it's like a multi, it's, it's, it's really, a, it's a lot. It's, it's, I record it. I doodle sometimes at the tastings when we're sitting, then I can doodle and write notes. But usually I record them and then I put them all together. But it's, it's a lot of fun and we get to see a lot of great, you know, wineries and we get to see, they also try to get us to places that really gives us a feeling of what that region's about. So, you know, like, for example, if I went up to Alta Adige, the northern part of Italy, you know, that borders Austria, we, you know, we got out and we climbed the Alps. It had nothing to do with wine. I mean, it does sort of in a way, but to give us a really well-rounded feel of where we're going and where these wines are coming from, they would throw in these excursions for us in a day and then just uh, to round out our experience. I could see the necessity for writing as many notes as possible, especially if you're going to three or more wineries a day yeah. and try to remember what you experienced in the first one. Now you're at the second one. And by the time you get to the third or fourth one, it's like, what, what happened earlier? Yeah. Because you're constantly on the move. Exactly. And I mean, it is, it is constantly on the move and it's not just one day, you know, right. it's no, multiple it be, like days, said, two, it's five it days, five days or two weeks or five whatever days. Yeah. Be, and know. then on top of that, typically what I do is it's maybe a five day trip or a seven day trip. I usually extend my trip. So I already know where I'm not going to be going to on the press trip, but I have these other wineries I want to get to. So I'll extend my trip and see them too. But yeah, the note-taking, it does take a little bit of organization. And also, I'm a very visual person, obviously. So that's why the pictures and the, you know, the, the taking photos and drawing really helps because I can, it can get me right back to that moment. It helps the memory. It does. Yeah. Do you find, too, that you meet interesting characters along the way? Not the, your colleagues, but people who are working the wineries a certain growers or people that are in the industry that are not your typical person because they're involved in a labor of love, 
mm-hmm. and they're in a region that has that for, as you said, for a long time. So do you come across these people and are you always amazed at how many people you do meet that are just fascinating personalities? Oh, yeah. I mean, every, every, in every region, there are fascinating personalities that is attached to every wine. I mean, you know, as a reporter, really, it is kind of your job to look for that. Otherwise, it all becomes the same story. And how do you differentiate one from another? So, you know, whenever I go and meet someone, I really try to look around. You know, I ask some of the questions, a lot of the typical questions that others would ask. But then I try to go a little bit deeper just to get a little bit more information to find out what makes that producer stand out from the others. But, you know, typically, I mean, they all have their own stories. A lot of them come from multi-generational families that have been making wine. Some of them are millionaires who won something and they decided to to buy plots of land on Mount Etna. There's celebrities who are Hollywood celebrities that are now owning land in Napa. I mean, they, they all have, those are not really the stories I write about, but they all have stories and you just have to dig for them. And I've come across some really interesting people. Is it a bottomless well in the sense that you never run out of stories to write about? Yeah. You never run out. You never run out because, especially with wine, and I guess you could say that with anything else, but I think with wine, because it's such an old thing and it's so tied to our earth and our world and our people and our culture and history that you can go in so many directions when you write about wine. You can, you, it's not just about what it tastes like or what it looks like or who made it, but you can go a lot deeper. It's an interesting dichotomy between the sense of wine and its connection to earth and the fact that it's, you could think of it as an old soul. And at the same time, the technology for not only processing wine, but also enjoying wine as a consumer constantly changes. So you have certain wine devices or tools, or you can take the air out so to preserve the wine, and you can do this and you can do that. It's just fascinating that you have those two things going on on a parallel track. Oh, it is. That is actually, I never really thought about that, but that's true. You know, it, it is an old beverage. And then here we are where we're, we've got all these cool gadgets that we're spending a couple hundred dollars on <laughs> to try to, you know, we want to preserve the wine and we want to be able to drink, you know, one glass today. And then uh, two months from now, we want to drink another one because the bottle costs too much to open up tonight, or it's just you drinking tonight or whatever. I, I mean, I, I totally think that the, those kinds of, um, luxuries that we have today, I welcome them all. You know, it's all part of the enjoyment and it's what it is, what it is, what's wine appreciation is about today. How do you manage as a wine writer to, well, I'll, I'll phrase it in a way that somewhat blunt, but it, it's funny. How do you as a wine writer stay sober? <laughs> because wine is so enjoyable for you right. as it is for a lot of people, but you're having to write about it, which means you have to sample it, which means you have to taste it which means you have to drink it, which means how much of it do you drink? And when you're on a tour and you have three to four to five wineries a day, how do you work that out so that you can stay ahead of that and be sober enough to write and doodle and take notes? Yeah, well, you start out with a good breakfast. <laughs> okay, food. Okay, you start out with a good breakfast. <laughs> then, and then along the way, yes, it's not unlikely that you taste 50, 60, 70, wines in a day. But you're not 
really swallowing the wines. I'm not swallowing the wines. You're tasting it. And then, we're tasting yes. it and we're spitting it. That's what we all do. I don't think any of us could keep it together at the end of the day, you know. Um, but we basically do that. And I think that we have, over the years, just learned to really taste the wine and make our notes and move on to the next one. It is a lot, though. I mean, still, it does get in the bloodstream. It has to. I know. At the end of the day. Before I let you go, though, we have to ask the important question, which is, what are wine diamonds? Oh, wine diamonds. They are actually a natural byproduct in the winery. And in the process of making wine, a lot of times the wines are cooled to a certain temperature. And sometimes a natural reaction happens when the wines are cooled. These little crystalline fragments develop inside the wine and they sometimes adhere to the top of the cork. And so when you, when you look at the wine bottle, you see the sediment. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a flawed wine at all. In fact, it actually means it's a wine that has been cared for and well, actually well made. And so um, I did a fun thing in the book about wine diamonds because I have a fascination with sparkly things or anything that sparkling like that. And it's not a sparkling wine or any, in any ways. It has nothing to do with sparkling wine, but I love things that sparkle. And so these are tartrates. These are materials that float around in the wine bottle. And it's not that not everyone has it, but that's what they are. They're just these, it's a natural byproduct of wine that's in, in the bottle that you might find. And it's also the same stuff that cream of tartar is made out of. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so these crystals are actually potassium bitartrate, which is kind of a scary name, but it's not harmful at all. It's actually a positive sign of wine that's minimally processed. So it's just a good thing. And I, I love that we call it the wine diamonds because it's a positive thing that good people answer. shouldn't be worried about. Good. Oh, I always want to know what that was about. Before I let you go, the really important question, which is, what is the favorite part of your book for you? If I can narrow it down for you, or if you can narrow it down for me, what's the favorite part of the book whether it's a particular wine, a particular doodle? Oh, wow. That is a good question, Ira. I love the book. Okay. I love every page of the book. Obviously, it's a labor of love. Okay. But the last part of the book that I created, the very last part, was actually the cover. That's my favorite part of the book. The reason why it's my favorite part of the book is because I enlisted my closest friends and family to be part of creating that. And especially people who have been influential in my life, such as Kirk, my husband, Craig, they all have participated by creating these wine stains that are on the book. And I put them in there and integrated into my doodles. I don't normally do mixed media like that. My doodles are normally just pencil. But on the cover, I have wine stains that are, you know, drops of wines from my kids and my mom and my close friends and, and other family members. And to me, that makes it all the more special because it really is, you know, I did it for, I did it for myself, but they have supported me so much in this endeavor. And now they're part of the book. Yes, they are. And that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been award-winning food and wine writer, Marisa Finetti, author of the new book, Marisa's Wine Doodles. 
For everything about Marisa Finetti and to order her book, go to Marisa Finetti. That's F-I-N-E-T-T-I, marisafinetti.com. And you can follow her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Marisa's Wine Doodles and Marisa Finetti. Marisa, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ira. It was fun. It was. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.